Stupid Hearts Club is yours to enjoy for free wherever you get your podcasts. But if you've fallen deeply in love with the show, or me, even though that's a bit weird because we've never met, then you might want to consider supporting the show via patreon.com forward slash stupid hearts club for about five or a month you can indulge in your sick little fantasy that i am your very own little audio husband friend without ever having to deal with the fact that in real life i leave socks and half drunk glasses of water everywhere either way i'm very happy you're here so please enjoy the show This episode was recorded while my podcast was still called GSOH. Don't be confused, you're in the right place. GSOH. Good sense of humor. New podcast by Nico. T- by Nico to. T- by Nico Tataravich, where he sh- tries with. talks to people. With talks to people with a good sense of humour. G S O H. Yes. Anna Morris. Hello. Are you receiving me? I am receiving you loud and clear. Very I don't good. know why I'm speaking like that. Sorry, I've. I'm doing well, you said strange. you were going to. I might talk like this for the entire um, chat, like I'm on a Radio Four drama. <laughs> uh, it is okay to do a themed episode, even if it. We haven't prepared beforehand. The listeners will love the unplanned nature of such an endeavour. I think they'll also appreciate the exposition that we give while talking. I think it's vital when one isn't very good at what one is doing to give exposition. Yes. Gosh, it's so cold on this boat that I am currently on and I feel so emotional. (laughs) You've just just summed up why I hate radio plays. That is, I I turned on the radio today in the car and that was, there was some kind of drama and it was, that was sort of the level. It was very, it was was, was very dramatic. Yeah, it's a strange thing. Because obviously as, uh, as we're now in this medium, audio is a fantastic medium. It is, I'm not, yeah. I've never understood, because it is like seen as a, a proper... Uh, a stripe to get on your uniform to do radio drama on the way up to doing drama, right? Nothing wrong with yeah, that. I'm sure yeah. people write lots of good stuff. But a lot of what I've ever heard has got that real kind of jangling car keys being put down and a sigh. And it just, oh, it just fucking doesn't. There's just I, no you know need. What? There's no I did need. Get into the, I did get into the arches briefly. Oh, God, no. And I think it's because I turned 40 and when you turn 40, <laughs> things happen that you yeah, well. find yourself doing things and you go, oh, oh, it's quite nice. It's like having a warm bath. It's all because my mum listens to it. So I always hear the theme music and it makes me like gives me a nice little feeling and re- reminds me of my mum. But I get the yeah, I get the nostalgic link, but mm. I, I would listen to it for one minute and just be clawing my eyes out, or, even though I'm not looking at it. That's how bad it is. Yeah, I feel like I, I can see it. A, 
it was just part of the midlife crisis that I well probably I'm still currently going through but um it definitely was it was a turning point for me oh it's like therapy isn't it it is a lot like therapy um I don't know whether you probably haven't heard any of any of my episodes before I will uh send you a couple yeah is it I mean is it therapy um or am I just am I confused and I think that you're my therapist now and I'm going to overshare and then you're going to send it out there and I'm going to be really embarrassed. I mean, it's not really therapy, but we we do I do not put, I do not shy away from uh, venturing into those kind of areas now and again, oh, depending on oh, who good. I'm talking to. It's an open door. I'm an open book. Um, yeah, there's no real plan. I I just like talking to people who I think are funny and who who are easy to talk to and. Uh, it's strange. Like I often sit down. As like I say, there's no plan. I don't. I don't, I don't have any intention other than I will. I will dip into a bit of like want to talk about your comedy stuff, but generally it's just titting about and having a little natter. And somehow or other, it always ends up being quite a nice, warm thing. And my my patrons um, are really responsive and lovely and send lots of messages, oh, that's nice. saying that they like people and or. or or I'll get like texts, and not what texts, kind of like inbox messages and stuff saying that listening to it every week is someone's little ritual and it really helps them in the lockdown and blah, blah, blah. And that, yeah, it's I really mean, I, cute. I like, even with podcasts, I didn't really get into podcasts before the pandemic and I was just doing loads of walks and I found it really comforting just to have my one one a week that I really, really enjoyed and I listened to. Defo, um, defo good for walking. Yeah, it? absolutely. I think also there are certain, when you think about there are, different jobs where people are killing a lot of time there's there's people that that have you know a lot of podcasts that they listen to at work and yeah. actually got what i've already mentioned this in another episode but one guy told me that uh, him and his mate or like him and his uh, co-worker are an ambulance crew and they have it on oh, that's like amazing that's cool. to me yeah you know but uh yeah, I find I did I got got into some of them and then I tried some of those because I, I always ask for recommendations I love to get them from people and I'm not I'm not like one of those people that's hugely into this true crime sort of genre but I thought oh I'll dip in because I like mm. to try different things but I couldn't get past the narrator's voice really and I could well it was um, I'm trying to try and do an impression it was like <laughs> then on the um, on the 31st of October suddenly he was found dead nobody knew what had happened. But then they called the police. And on the 1st November, someone else <laughs> found some... I can't... Anyone who's listened to those crime, true crime things, they'll, yeah, they'll yeah. know exactly what I mean. It's a really monotone voice about something really sinister. And I couldn't get... But people love them. But it was really like... There must be like a formula that someone gory. figured out is like... It's like an AI's done it. It's like a formulaic yeah. like thing about it. But uh, yeah, I, I find some narrators. I mean, I, I mean, if I narrated something, I think people probably get really annoyed with my voice. But um, I'm I'm struggling. I do switch already. off. Are you, are you, are you <laughs> I'm really bored. I'm struggling with this. I just kind of want to. Really bored. Oh, just fucking going. Oh, you should see the look on my face. Oh, God. <laughs> you should see I've the look told, on my face right I now. I have been told that my tone of voice is just always sounds sarcastic. And now <laughs> I'm saying that. Now I'm saying that out loud. I realise it really does. I don't know. Really I think does. I think you you uh, you sound. Uh, I wouldn't say sincere. I wouldn't go as far as that. Oh well, but, I'm not. But so. um, uh, passable. Mm. Passable. Yeah, that's Clipped. that's fine. <laughs> Clipped. Cold. Yeah. Someone told me. I think it was a therapist. I'm going. See, I'm diving in already to the mental health thing. I yeah. think one therapist once told me that I that what did she say? It, she said my voice. She said 
I don't give much away expression-wise and that my voice may come, may come across as cold and unfriendly to some people. Oh, my God. A therapist said that. Yeah. Fucking and I bitchy. was really upset because I think I was Were talking about... Had you forgotten you know to pay no, the week before? I was before? always on time. Always on... No, very conscientious. Always on time. I think I was talking about some friends or something about feelings or connecting with people and she pretty much I've sort of left feeling like she'd said I was like a robot and (laughs) wanted to be my friend I love the idea of a passive aggressive therapist who's sitting there going uh, well someone's talking about themselves again aren't they yeah I suppose I suppose with some people they do struggle in relationships because they don't really think about other people very much do they I mean there must be loads like that really must be yeah Mm. the the inner monologue of a therapist must be interesting because they're trying to trying sort of trying to give a shit i'm sure they do most of the time and they're being professional but they're only human there's going to be people that you take to and don't take to as well yeah have so you even seen, if someone seen... has got a problem there's a bit mm. if you don't like someone you just be going oh so what Shut the f- yeah <laughs> do you know have you ever seen a series called in treatment i absolutely know it uh i've i've only watched a handful of episodes it's gabriel but there's a new version on sky but the gabriel Byrne version is better yeah i think it's based on an israeli series or book but i loved that because what i love is they do the like monday to thursday each episode's like a day and it's half an hour and it's him each day he's got a different um client and they're Mm. all he's got doing couples therapy he's got this young girl girl who's got cancer he's got like different clients and on on the the last episode on the friday he goes to his supervisor so he then Mm. you then hear all his thoughts on all those people oh right i I didn't realize that yeah so i could see that it's set into the days Mm. And I saw. But then you. I watched. I basically watched one about two weeks ago, and it's one of those series that it's like, oh fuck, that is so up my street. I've kind of avoided it because I need to go at it really. Yeah, properly. You're, you might binge watch it. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it's great because on the Friday you get all his thoughts on all the people he's seen that week, and it's really fascinating about what he thinks mm. of them. And he does have some that he's like there's one guy that he thinks is really arrogant and really dislikes and right. it's really interesting how that relationship changes over the course of the the show but i do i recommend it to your to your patrons i recommend it have you heard of a phenomena in the therapy world called transference yes i have i always i always stumble trying to explain what it is can you explain it <laughs> well that actually does happen in the series i'm not really yes. giving anything away because it's talked about quite early but there's well, a, no, that's, it's just a thing in therapy, though, isn't it? You know? Yeah, there's one of the storylines is a woman. It's she played by Melissa George, um, oh. who I love. is a great actress. She, she is talking about her, a breakdown of her relationship. And while she's doing it, she's kind of, there's kind of tension between them. Mm-hmm. And he, when he goes to his supervisor, says he's struggling because he's starting to have feelings for her. Mm-mm. And that's obviously really deeply unprofessional. But he, she then tells him that he, she's in love with him. And he says, that's transference. You've obviously like put that on you're having yes. trouble in a relationship and you put that onto me and it's really interesting because you're not sure whether it's like actually happening or she's right. psychologically gone yeah because, i'm gonna put all this on you because obviously the person knows that they are in a situation where they're being professional and be guarded and they're doing the same job that they would be doing listening to someone with problems but mm. we no one knows the mysteries of why we are why we could become not just attracted, but sort of empathetically sort of take someone on like quite quickly. You, you can, you could you can just click with someone and that's yeah. really interesting. Like you'd think, you'd think they'd, I don't know whether there's a, if, do they have any explanation for why that happens with some people, but not others? I mean, obviously pe- 
I suppose just attraction is part of it, but but I we are really attracted know. to people platonically as well, aren't we? You know what I mean? So like, yeah, and I think also it's the relationship with a therapist. I guess is going to be quite intense and quite. Mm. They sort of almost become a caregiver, or it depends what what role they play in your life, I suppose. Um, and yeah, I don't know. I've had I've had a couple of therapists, and um, I do feel like the you know one I was with for quite a long time, and when I let when I we decided that you know I was going to leave, and it was all okay. I, got, I did get really emotional at the end because it was such yeah. a big journey, and she was so mm. compassionate and lovely, and that's kind of mm. all I needed. And she was she was yeah, it was just it was really weird saying goodbye to her. It felt felt really empowering because I felt like <laughs> I'd got through quite a lot with her, but I also felt quite emotional like she she'd become my friend even though it's like you know obviously very professional i just had a really horrible thought like because we're talking about serious stuff and like a giddy bit in my brain just turned on and i imagined that you've been all like what exactly what you're just saying being all emotional and this is like goodbye but the, <laughs> the therapist leaves with like a jetpack <laughs> just just like can't wait which we which which you weren't expecting as well it's a bit that oh, would be amazing okay. uh well, yeah. it's been amazing. They're just putting it on, buckling it up, as, you, yeah. as you're saying. I honestly can't thank you enough. And then, <laughs> I'm sorry that. for ruining that little moment, but I, no, had it, I, I just I, had a naughty little moment. I'm getting too serious. Like sorry, I'm getting No, too, no, no, it's that's fine. That's the thing. I, 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 I went comedy, through the same thing. I always end up being very serious. That's, that's well, Oh, that's I've got a good, I've totally got good little anecdote. One of my friends, this is good, a therapist one. So he went to see this therapist in, I think it was Clapham. It was somewhere... One of those beautiful houses, you know, those townhouses with the amazing front doors, those yes. amazing houses. So he went to see the therapist and he spent an hour with him. And at the end, the therapist said, "Can you know, have you got the payment? I think it was like £60 or something. Yeah. My friend was like, oh, sorry, I didn't, you know, bit in a, fluster, in a bit of a fluster coming here. I didn't get any money out. Can I do a bank transfer? And he's like, well, no, it's supposed to be cash. Sorry, you know, you'll have to give me cash. But I've got, he, the therapist said, look, I've got a client coming now. So why don't you, there's a cash point down the road, go to the cash point and just put it through the letterbox. So my friend was like, absolutely, yes, I'll do that. So he went off to the cash point, got the money, came back, put it through the front door, left, and then the therapist contacted him saying, um, I'd never, I d- didn't ever receive the money. And my friend was like, oh, okay. Then he suddenly had a realisation. He said, what number were you? He's basically, he basically puts <laughs> 60 quid through some random person's front door. Oh, it's a sort of th- type of therapy all of its own. Love it. So he had to pay. So in the end, he said he paid like £120. I'd just knock on, wouldn't you? For therapy, no, he was you, too embarrassed. I would, no, I would knock on and say, I'm terribly sorry. I'm a very vulnerable, dangerous person who've accidentally put 60 quid to your door. I'd give I, that back to me if I were you. <laughs> okay, but I've also got, I also love the idea of like these people living in these, these houses were amazing. So I'm guessing these people were doing quite well. I have like, then how great. They just come down the stairs and... And there's sixty quid on the map. Right. That's, for that's no just reason. how it is if you're if you're that level of wealthy already. It's just it like, just appears. Oh, your sixty box. pounds has come through the door again, darling. Oh I really want to live live next others. door. Yeah, I want to live next door to a therapist so that that happens and I get money through the door. But I just thought that was that's quite a silly fun anecdote. That is mm-hmm. funny. I, sixty when, quid. I, I I also did two and a half years at one point talking to the same therapist that where, where I did most of most of the kind of. You know, filtering through your history and your childhood and all the family stuff. So, like, that all got nailed during that Mm. period. And then, you know, I moved out of the area and traveling. I still like talking to him. So, I I made the effort to go and see him on a Monday for a while, but it was just fucking too far and Mm. it just didn't work as much as it worked when I used to live around the corner. You could just sort of like work from home, nip around the corner, do a session. Like, so, like, we wound it down because that's another thing. You don't just stop. 
Some mm. if you say, look, you know, like uh, this is, you know, like practically isn't working out. I like the fact that they sort of go, yeah, well, it doesn't just stop. We we've, you know, there's they they've that in itself is comforting because you know what they're saying is, I'm li- I'm still listening to you, but yeah. I've. I have my ideas about where this needs to go and I'm trying to guide you there. So I think we yeah. should do some more for this long. Mm. And I, I really like that. So anyway, I got to the end with him and it's not, it's not a funny anecdote, but he, uh, having sat there and remained completely impartial and all the rest of it. And he'd show a little bit of interest in the comedy world as a sort of, uh, you could see he was a sort of, he was a fan of comedy in quite an intellectual way. So like he, he would now and again give away a little bit of interest in what I was saying when I was just talking about the new like world of work I was getting into and how it, you know, it felt great having something that was getting into is the odd thing that was happening that was quite cool and all that. So like I was able to share some good stories with him as well as all the shit. But um, you know, I I knew that he had that little glimmer where we, if we got onto that subject, to be like a friendly conversation. But he was very good at steering me back to quite a austere sort of mm. tone. Anyway, yeah. but at the end of it, um, I said, you know, thank you and all the rest of it and that he'd been amazingly helpful and I'll never forget all the conversations and I've learned so much and all this. I said goodbye. And it's like, okay, and he actually, he hugged me, right? Oh. Right? And not only did he hug me, but he hugged me and then he did that squeeze that you do when, you meet, when you're saying, I mean this. Oh. And then, he, and then that was it and I went out the door and it was, it felt like, almost like a magician's trick like it was like oh my god because like as soon as it happened i thought oh my god he's literally sending me away with this that's so comforting and i honestly i've I've honestly had times where that comes into my head and i go like in a it's a funny thing because part Mm. of my story is not really having had a dad and you know so basically absent father from the age of two and then stepdad from the age of 10, but that's a really gross marriage between my mum and my stepdad without going too into it. Mm. Uh, pretty, pretty kind of, yeah, pretty, uh, uh, what's the right word? Sort of, yeah, just fucking fiery and aggressive mm. and just, yeah. But anyway, uh, like he knew that fundamentally I was a person without a father figure and that mm. isn't his job to be my father figure. Yeah. But in a weird way, now and again, I'll just remember that, I think. It was. It's basically a reminder that that person properly listened and had your back. Yeah, and it's just sent me off with that. And, God, it's such such yeah. a powerful. That must have taken like two seconds, and I don't think I'll ever forget that feeling. Mm. You know, like it's so strange emotions in it when they're just fleeting things, yeah. and and we have them all day, every day, and most of them aren't worth keeping, so your memory doesn't store them. But now and again, it's like someone hits record or something in you hits record. I mean, it can I, just be that tiny gesture of like, mm. you know what? I was just it, when when lockdown was happening, and I was really I was really struggling with loneliness and just you know like feeling a bit isolated. Mm. Um, just but just just in terms of not seeing my friends and not sitting, not going into a workplace and yeah. not going out and about, and even like even going to the shops. Like I went to the shops because I just wanted to have a chat with the person behind the till. Yeah, like yeah. I was I was that person who's like I yeah. just like I like chatting to people. I like mm. smiling and it's just those little things gave me a little lift of just like how oh, are definitely. you like how's your jo- job going and you could see they wanted to talk as well and it was just 
it just felt really nice to feel a bit connected to people I when kind of so still in that to be honest I, mean, I do, I do I, feel I, that yeah i do think we're coming we, we obviously are coming out of it and part of it is just it's also just winter and post christmas yeah. and all that shit but um i am really really scratching at the door now like i really mm. am like uh i didn't intend for winter to be this i do or i wasn't ex- i wasn't ready for winter to be this uh isolated again uh, yes not, i am the not, sa- yeah i'm not enjoying it you know like, i actually am in a good mood today i think it was a bit sunny i went out early had a good walk yeah, it's i did a bit as well. sunny and I, and I sort of got a few things done and got ahead of the work that I've been doing that I've been I've been wading through something that felt like oh not not a difficult job but quite a lot mm. of work. It's like shit, and I was a little bit uh, overwhelmed by it for the last couple of weeks. But I, I I can see the finishing line now, and I've started to see that this is going to end soon. Then I might mm. have a little break and it's warming up a bit. And then there's there's a couple of things going on where I'm going into London. I'm in London tomorrow night for a little music gig. Mm. Uh, say tomorrow night uh, that is that will be th- what is it today's thursday uh, sorry today's wednesday wednesday thursday i've got a little music gig in town which is a really sweet oh, reason to go in a couple of mates yeah. are coming along and like i honestly like cannot wait just to be in a place where i might say something to be a dick and someone will laugh yeah like fucking hell yeah. you know I totally get it. I mean, I I'm really struggling at the moment. Like, when I'm finding yeah, winter I'm finding it really difficult, and I don't. I always have, but I don't know why this one feels different. I don't know why. It's like oh, it's got to be because of like we we've had that ex- yeah. It's it's the COVID pandemic stuff and po- and work still hasn't picked up, and I I have get anxiety anyway. But it feels like a it feels like I've had a bit of a relapse. I had it quite bad before Christmas and then I was far. And then I was so mm. busy over Christmas, I kind of was like, oh, I'm fine now. I'm mm. absolutely fine. It's gone. Well, I and mean, then, distraction does help. Yeah. And the last few weeks, it's really hit me hard and I'm really, I, do you know what? I'm fine in the, like now, I'm mm-hmm. fine. I'm much calmer in the evening. The mornings are awful. Yeah. I really struggle in the mornings and I don't know if anyone else gets that, but it's, I really yeah, feel Yeah, I think like it's a bit like, how do it's I... It's the worst. Like it's like again, I've got to somehow make today uh, bearable, and I don't mean yes. that in a yeah. in a defeatist nihilist way because I'm I'm always up to something that is creative or whatever, and mm. I've got lots of ways of amusing myself and even just being dicking around and sending messages to people and getting people going, like winding miles up or whatever. Um, <laughs> you know that'll that'll pass a bit of time, but yeah. Uh, Sometimes it's like because you know that the situation we've been put in isn't really normal routine. You are. Mm. It's like that thing of, um, you know, like someone putting. I don't know what. I don't know where I'm getting this image from, but where it's like someone's doing a performance or some people are doing a performance, but something's gone wrong. But the audience don't know it's gone wrong, so you have to keep doing the performance. Yeah. Right. So you're sort of smiling yeah. and making up the dialogue until someone remembers what the play is. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like, I feel like our lives are a bit like that at the moment, where it's like you're having to go. Oh, it is fine because now the day the day is. Uh, I go for my walk. I talk to that pigeon. Uh, <laughs> you know, I I uh, I send an email to myself and then pretend it's not from me, and that's mm. fine, and I'm fine about that. <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. So, like, we have had to basically muck in, dig in, and in a similar way, obviously, far less threatening than being in a war zone. But this country, mm. when it goes on about the the blitz and the war oh, spirit yeah. and all that, like, years of uh, having to get in 
bloody shelters and mm. have your lights turned down and all the rest of it. Like, it's a bit of a glimpse, isn't it, into what it yeah. must be, what that and my dad, kind of maybe the other day, my dad, like. I was talking to my dad about anxiety stuff and I don't normally, I do talk to my parents, but it was lovely to have a chat with my dad about it because I don't normally go to him with it, but I was just feeling really rubbish and it was so nice just to chat to him and he was saying, we're just sort of having a general chat about things you can control and things you can't control. That was the kind of mm. conversation. And I'm having a lot of stuff at the moment that I feel like I can't control. And I feel like that's when I kind of really struggle. Really? And I'm grasping to control one thing. And if one thing falls into place, I feel like then I start to feel calmer. And my dad was, he was talking about living through the Cold War and like how you just had this uneasy feeling at the back of your mind all the way you know knowing that something might happen and it was quite scary but he said but you just had to sort of learn to live along with it and you couldn't control it you couldn't you couldn't physically do anything he said it was a really strange thing I just found that really interesting oh he was in where was he then he would have been in in Merseyside where where my parents are from really so he 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 felt he felt that the the cold war was a was a a psychological thing because obviously that was was still that was still going when we were young yeah, it was. Um, he just said it was just sort of omnipresent, really. Like it was in the new when it was really in the news a lot and stuff. So yeah, I can I remember know. the eighties. Uh, most and most people who are my age will remember this. Mm. There was there was a, an age where they started telling us about nuclear war, and then they showed us that that um, Raymond Briggs uh, animation. What was it I'm called? When the where that. the when the wind blows. Oh yeah. Right, I think that's what it's mm. called. When the I'm just googling as I do. I think it, you're is, right. I think you're right. And it was like a cartoon, yeah, yeah, with characters that look like well, basically like children's book characters, mm. and it's like a little bit like sort of um, the wrong trousers type of thing. It's like all very parochial, like man with a pair of brown trousers and braces on, sort of going, yeah. "Oh dear, if we just lean this door up against." Uh, against the wall we'll crawl under here in case of attack mustn't grumble you know you're there going but you're sort of thinking i'm only like 1986 that is so that means i was 12 when that came out which is surprises me i feel like i was i thought i was slightly younger when that came out but there it is i would have been six when that came out so i do i vaguely i vaguely remember it but maybe the book was was out before yeah i reckon the book was out well it must have been out before obviously the book was 1982 is the book ah okay so i probably i think we did see it in book form first Mm. it's a bit like because i remember a lady coming to school and saying i lived through the war and here's some stuff and i've got still got my gas mask and this is what evacuation was like and whatever which is really good like they told us Mm. what you know it was history so it was important but that in the same probably that like they do like oh we're gonna learn about war this term and then you, you come out of it thinking all oh, right, so this shit is possible and it can actually happen. And I think kind of I freaky. and I think I was saying to someone the other day, like, and I was one of those kids. So I probably still am. I'm, I'm very sensitive, and I think as a kid, I would like pick up on anything like that. And then my my brain, my catastrophizing brain, mm. which my I could call it my catastrophizing brain, but I think it's just the way because of I think I don't know if you find this because we create stuff and we write things and yep. stuff like that. We when I catastrophize, it's like a movie. It's like a really well-produced movie. So I can like get worried about one thing and then I can really? imagine it. And it's like so real because right, I'm... Shit. And when I use it in a good way, like if uh, I'm coming right, up with a yeah. show yeah. or, you know, if I'm coming up with a show or something creative, I can see it in my head and then write it and out. It's like it's a plotting really great, out- outcomes. 
Yeah, I play it. But then the problem is when my brain decides to do a bit of a horror, you know, is yeah, in right. anxiety mode, it'll catch right, up. Right, I see, yeah. So when I was... I must, uh, yeah, right, okay. This is so ridiculous that I'm going to say this now. When um, I was a kid, my parents... Do you remember, like, on a, when you were a kid, Casualty was on, like, on a Friday or Saturday night? Yeah. There wasn't a lot... Because there, there was only four channels, four, what, mm. four, then eventually five. I hate those um, programmes, I will say now. Go on. Well, it was always on in the background. So my parents would have stuff on in the background. And I remember, like, as a kid, it must have been, like... It must have been, like, seven, eight, I don't know. And I remember it being on. And as a family, we'd sort of watch it. We'd just be watching Saturday night TV. And I... I found it really upsetting because every everything that happened in Casualty, I, I thought was going to happen to us. <laughs> oh, cool. I was so sensitive, and even the I theme hate tune, hospital dramas. I'm not not specifically that yeah. one. Yeah. Oh, I like, have ever it's since. It's just so miserable. It's like the it's such a horrible tune, environment. You know, it's yeah. this municipal, cold, clinical, sort of just, like ugly full environment of full of fucking pain. Like what? Well, especially British it. ones, because the British ones are basically that, and the American ones are all like they've all got really amazing teeth, and they're mm. all sleeping with each other, and it's yeah. all kind of that soaped kind of side side of it. But I just was saying to someone the other day that the, the casualty theme tune makes me feel really weird. I horribly horridly turn it off, not just turn it off. It's like get it away. I don't know. Get it away before it hurts my legs. Yeah, like I just—it's—it's it's funny, isn't it? The things you remember that just disturbed you, and now you look. Now you'd watch it now and go, "It's just ridiculous." It's, it's funny. Like this I don't looks find ridiculous now. I don't find that I catastrophize about like really bad big things that they might happen and whatever. But the control thing is obviously a bit is is a pretty common thing for anyone mm. having ups and downs. I think it's more like. I don't like it if I feel like someone isn't tr- isn't being nice or isn't treating me very well or mm. or say there was a misunderstanding and someone thought that I thought had said something or did done something and it wasn't true or you know any way that I could be perceived a way that I don't like to be perceived that's when I would be up for the night you know like mm. fucking freaking out but I don't ever have like what ifs in a really bad way I kind of yeah I didn't do you know what I don't feel like I used to have I did have always have it a bit but I think the pandemic definitely triggered something because I, I think it it I suddenly felt like I lost control of a lot of stuff like work and mm. things like that and I think it's and, and I turned 40 during the pandemic as well and sort of was going to have like a bit of a party and didn't and kind of didn't really mm. I don't know I wish I'd sort of celebrated it because then I sort of turned 40 and then started panicking about everything and having a bit of a midlife oh, right, yeah, kind yeah. of ah and I um I, I think I had too much thinking time as well. I think because I wasn't working a lot and had no structure, that didn't really help. No, so for me, bit, routine's really important. That first bit for me was just like, this is amazing. Like I love it when there's no time pressure. Mm. And for a while, for a while there, it was like, this is a chance to catch up with yourself and I actually really reveled in it for a while. I did at but, the beginning, I, yeah. But, I, but with what's just happened, like over winter and stuff, mm. uh, I think winter's a bit of a bummer anyway. But like, yeah, yeah I've been... Yeah, like a sort of madman sitting in a cave waiting for the sun to come up again. Same. And I think also the first, the beginning of it, I think I did allow myself to switch off because I felt like I'd been given a free pass of going, right, you don't have anything to worry about because everyone's in the same position. No one can get work. You can relax. And it that it's really hard to explain, but I felt yeah. very much, you know, we're all in this together. I don't have to worry about getting work. I don't, it's not my fault. 
etc I can get and I luckily I was very very lucky I got some help the government grant a little mm. bit of help to cover myself mm. and um and I was also back at my parents for was supposed to be a couple of weeks and then I ended up there for two months and had a really lovely time with them um and tried to make the most of spending time with them but I think for me what I think I started feeling weird when things supposedly went back to normal I'm doing yeah. quotation marks with my fingers that you can't see yeah, um and then it feels like a lot of people obviously then started getting jobs and things like that and I felt like it was still really quiet for me so I started having that oh hang yeah. on a minute I thought this was going to go not that I was like getting loads of work before but I was getting enough and doing enough to like keep me happy well, that's keep me freelance busy. life anyway isn't it exactly I mean, knows, and it all, felt very much through. like oh now I don't feel like you know I really feel like I need to be doing something and then it's the frustration of like well what do I do like I think it was that and I think that happened yeah last year and then obviously then winter of course and COVID stuff, it just felt it suddenly went a bit mm. funnily weird enough, again, didn't it? Funnily enough, doing this every week, which has been now for a, approximately six months, mm. it, it is a thing that I know is in my diary that that will that I that I get round to and I do, and it it really helps with that uh, some something constant, you know. Yeah. Even though it's like it's self-generated, but that's really helped on in terms of having to you know come into terms with. Uh, I mean, it's like that anyway when you freelance, but the the openness, the open water in front of you, like where's work coming from? Mm. But yeah, uh, it's because you're taking control of your your own content, isn't it? And you're yeah, you're the one creating it and just saying, well, I'm going to do it myself. Like I, um, I for the first. Oh, I think it was like the first sort of year of the pandemic, I did loads of videos um, and, mm. you know, I wasn't doing them for any, what was nice, I wasn't doing them for any reason other than I need to do something creative. And it mm. wasn't like, a, oh, I'm doing this to try and get a part in something or I'm trying to get an audience or something. I genuinely was like, right, I need to make something because I'm going a bit mad and I need to sort of create. Yeah. And then they did really well. Like all these, they were little kind of yeah, observations right, yeah on the pandemic, like my back to work one, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. which is me doing a very quick monologue about basically how rubbish it's gonna be to go back into work. That yeah. went that went crazy. It went viral on Twitter and then it kind of got sent around on WhatsApp. Someone obviously downloaded it. And it was it was lovely because loads of people were saying it just really made, made them laugh. And I think mm. I just needed a bit of a, not that Defo, I needed an audience, a... but it was just so nice to go, I've created that. I don't get anything yeah. from it apart from like, that's my content. I made it myself. I taught myself to edit, like quite badly, but I taught myself <laughs> to edit. I taught myself to add music and I started doing them. And I, I'd love to do some more at the moment. I'm just not in that creative mind frame, but I really enjoyed taking that control back and going, right, I'm going to make this because I'm not going to wait for someone to give me a part. And I think with the jobs we yeah. do as well, often you're waiting for someone else to decide whether you're going to do a job or not. And that that's tricky. That's quite hard if you're that's funny, a bit like, of an anxious person, I think. Um I'm trying to figure out like what the pattern is like for myself like you know you can't really you can't really you can't really make it happen that you're uh, suddenly have a burst of creativity mm. it sort of comes when it wants and it's weirdly it's not yeah. even linked to being in a good or bad mood so I don't really understand that when I think about it I have felt pretty rough on mm. and off for the last few months and yet I've come up with loads of stuff which is really strange because I've felt at times quite kind of knackered and beaten, mm. but I've also had a lot of little eureka sort of things and have created a lot of stuff. Do you find you it's have really like weird. I can't those really moments when that. you have ideas? Do you find that that's when you're doing your walks or you're out and about? Because I find Can if be, I yeah. often like a walk or a run or something 
But it can oh, be even it'd be I more random than that. It's like like ideas. I said, like I could be having I could have like a few days where if I look at those three three days I think, Oh, I really felt shit those three days. But then he'll go, Oh, that's weird because there was still a something arrived in my mind needed to be scribbled down put to the mm-hmm. side and then and then you sort of you know a day or two later go what's that thing oh yeah go oh, fucking that's a good idea that and then so I, I guess part of that though is uh the, the psychology of thinking that you're just feeling shit and everything's shit but actually mm. forgetting that you're actually having some times in those days where it isn't shit and you're actually in a bit of a flow and you're thinking of stuff i've i've written lots of songs i've written well, that's that's ideas nice. for short Music stories uh, yeah like just kind of overarching kind of ideas and then what I, I think this is part of a kind of ADHD type brain which I'm mm. not diagnosed but I feel like I'm in that yeah. ballpark right but um, part of it is it, it does sort of just arrive whenever it wants and it's like a pipe you don't know when it's going to suddenly just be a torrent mm. And then suddenly it's all it's all it's all fucking happening. And if I if I do have an idea and my brain decides there's something in that, I will very quickly be able like over the next sort of hour, it'll just be like furious taking of notes. And then when I review that to see whether that's an idea I could actually sit down with in an office and start working it out, I will always be amazed how well thought through it it is in such a short space of time but then mm. if you told me to do that the next day with another idea i could just sit there going i can't think of anything i'm mm. just twiddling my thumbs just you know annoyed at myself that i can't access that that volume of thought but i, I mean i love that i'm not complaining about it at all i i really like i at least know that that's that, that it does come in waves and it uh it, it it never lets in in the long run it never lets me down i have lo- i've far more good ideas and i've got time to do things and obviously also that one negative of the adhd type brain is you're super into that idea and then you then you fucking forgot mm. you've had it and now you're super mm. into another idea so like the skill of doing what we do for a living is now and again picking up one of those things and going pay attention to that fucking polish it up and see yeah, what like, it is, like, I, follow I it through. To Lots the p- of ideas and don't finish them, yeah. That's, that's the beauty of, of that. what you were saying about doing a video and getting it out, is that you went, you conceived the idea, you followed it through, you edited it, you did the thing, you got it out. And it'd be the same mm. with, uh, when I, not that I ever got into doing it, but like when pe- people like yourselves have done Edinburgh Hours and stuff like that, that is like, you've got a hunch that there's a, an angle and mm. you fucking cane it until until you have polished up that idea and made a thing out of it and then you've put it on and go to a festival or tour it or whatever like because you've done that haven't you you've you've done yeah, that. yeah i've done how many different I've shows done, have you done well i can't i, I think it's about four well i've done a couple of it as a double act but on my own i've done five i've done five wow. um but they, i'd say there were th- four different shows because one of them i brought back um and we kind of kind of redid it um but I, for me, I'm an all or nothing person. I am a perfectionist, which is good and bad, but I throw everything into it to the point of like, you know, the last, the few months before Edinburgh, I am obsessive about it mm. and making my own props and like up at night trying to solve the monologue that's not working. And yeah. 
gigging it, doing previews. It's not right. It's not right. And it's, it's of course, it's not, never going to be perfect. It's never going to be right. for everyone. And, you know, I take it up to Edinburgh and then the first three shows are always a bit messy and I always struggle. But ultimately, I, abs- I used to absolutely love the process because I loved that there were like deadlines along the way, which works really well for someone mm. like me because you go, oh, by this time you've got to have your copy written and you're writing copy going I don't really know what this show is so I'm just going to try and keep it vague right. and you then you've got your photos um that you want to get done and put in and then you you kind of build so that all show. frightened me that that kind of because all of it to me all of that was like everything every step is you saying I'm committing to this even though I've got a fucking clue where it's going and then I felt mm. frightened and then I almost like talked myself in and out of so many things when I went up there and did it. I didn't really have a show. I just did half an hour of dicking around with a few characters. <laughs> but I, I massively admire anyone who who puts any fucking show on and, and, you know, gets that hour done and goes up there and does it. I so. mean, for me, I think with my ideas, I had to always make sure I had a really strong idea before I committed to it. So if I felt like the, the idea wasn't strong, there was one... I did quite a few years in a row. There was one I took off because I I had so many ideas and none of them were really calling out to me. I couldn't see them. I was like, "Mm, if I say yes to this and I pick this wishy-washy idea, I don't think this is going to be that great. But then when Mm. I, then I suddenly have one really strong idea and go, that's it, that's the show. And I'd know that it would, it, you know, it might not be, you know, by the end of the process, it might be a little bit of a different show, but I'd already, you know, I knew the title for me, like how I would sell it in one line. And that to me was like, right, that's the sort of marketing done. This is what it is. This is what. So what's your is. what's your what's your favourite of your shows? Do you know what the, the my favourite one was the one that was most simple to come up with, which was called "It's Got to Be Perfect," and that was the wedding show I did. Yeah, yeah. And I did it two years in a row because it was so popular. I had to do it in a bigger venue, um, bigger room at the venue the year after because we had queues down the road, and it was because it was a really simple concept. The concept was one of my characters who's a bridezilla, who's absolutely hideous. Mm. And the idea was she's getting married at the end of August, but she wants to have loads of wedding rehearsals first and the audience and people in Edinburgh could come along to a rehearsal to help her practice. And then that was the basic idea. And obviously I was like, right, okay, so I've got that as a title. I've got um, invitations will be like, the flyers, sorry, will be like wedding invitations. Oh, cool, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it'll be really pretentious on the back of it like I'm getting married in Edinburgh Castle I've got to practice 20 times my, my <laughs> fiance can't make it can you come and help yeah, yeah, so yeah. the marketing was great because people were getting them going oh yeah okay I'm gonna go to a wedding and then what I did is I That's cool. did a very structure a show that you know that basically I cast because my shows were very interactive I cast members of the audience as the bridesmaid um uh, best man father the bride groom to say right I need people to fill in because these people you know can't make these rehearsals you need to fill in and you need to do x y and z and then basically it was a show that became it was like a farce it became really chaotic things went wrong and things were planted to go wrong um so the tech would mess up on purpose so that throughout the show you've got that thread of the tech messing up and by the end of it she's the, the, the character's losing control of the entire thing because ultimately what the audience do at the beginning is when I say, this has got to be perfect, you've got to be on your best behaviour, they start acting like naughty school children. Yeah. And what would happen by the end of the show, they would be like on their feet, ruining the whole thing on purpose because they thought it was hilarious. So the the first dance is a good example of something I did. And I, I put together a medley of awful songs Amazing. like um, Titanic theme tune with yeah, pan yeah. pipes and... Um, all self-obsessive songs like "You're Beautiful" and um, 
I am beautiful. Like really, like yeah, yeah. she's so self obsessed. And that whole thing was like her doing a dance with the the group. This poor guy who had pulled up on stage. Um, <laughs> yeah ending with the lift from Dirty Dancing which <laughs> yeah, I used awesome. to make him stand on the stage and run down the aisle with everyone screaming and then it it cuts out before he can lift me and then the hokey cokey comes on and the, the idea is the tech's completely ruined Amazing. the first dance because she hates me and I didn't have to do anything the audience started doing the hokey cokey then it turns into the conga the audience nine times out of ten would do the conga around the venue that's seriously risky like can i say it like it was yeah in any situation where you go kind of like you're leaving any space the thing is you've got like f- however many people 50 or 100 or whatever people in a room it's pretty common that there's uh, some sort of knobhead there who then starts making it about them now obviously you're encouraging them to dick around but it's like a fine line isn't there where Someone, someone can be behaving in a way that it starts fucking dragging you away from what you're supposed to be doing. Well, uh, do you know what? I learned so much from it in terms of control because the character, it was very high status. And I think for a show like that, you need a very high status character because when I'm, when I'm me, I can't be assertive. I can't tell people, you know, I couldn't. Yeah, As right. her, because she's such a bitch, right. I was able to... Like one of the reviews said I had the audience in the palm of my hand. A couple yeah. of them said that. And it's because in that character, I could be so dominant and so like with one look or one get out if you're not going to behave you know i i could command it and people would behave because i felt like i was in this body that was like i'm allowed to be a bitch and say get out if you're it's interesting on a Mm. on another level as well just from from where our conversation started and getting to here like you've dropping hints about sort of being a perfectionist and Mm. being uh you know having high standards and all that and maybe being quite hard on yourself mm. and all the rest of it and 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 also being someone that could catastrophize and be quite anxious uh so it's really interesting to for you to choose to portray someone that can behave in a way that is much more like bulletproof and bullshit mm. and, and uh demanding and all that it's funny isn't it because yeah when you and think about unvulnerable- it but what, she also while you're portraying that character yeah you're actually like like when people do hip, hypnotism shows, you suddenly see that you can behave another way. It's weird, isn't it? It was just, it was all, it was also just, just so much fun being that person for an hour. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of the show, it was a very, I loved the ending. It was she becomes very vulnerable because at the end of the show, she kind of admits to the audience that she just doesn't want to go through this wedding. That her fiance is an idiot. Um, we cast him. Well, I say cast him. When I talk about him at the beginning, I say he's a conservative MP and he's um, very busy with his new job and like you know really, yeah, yeah. you know, talk about him a lot. Obviously, he hasn't turned up. And um, and at the end of the show, she sort of breaks down and says, "Look, I can't. Look, everything goes wrong." She sends the audience back to the seats, has a breakdown, and goes, "Look, I don't know what I'm doing. This is just not right. I don't want to do this." And just as she does that, the fiance storms in. Oh wow! At the end, and that was so wonderful because the, I had different act different cameos throughout the run um all right cool and they would all do it in a different way there was a structure but they'd essentially improvise and they'd storm in go sorry i'm late let's get on with it and i'd be like oh and then there'd be a bit of banter they'd be rude to the audience and then at the end of the show i would and it's killed the vibe like it's changed the dynamic and people would start booing people would boo (laughs) the fiance because they're like oh we've heard about this man we don't like him but we like her and then i ended the show by him turning his back on me in the audience going right i'm i'm ready walk up the aisle and then i would look at the audience and all i honestly it was incredible all i'd have to do was do a little nod and a little pleading face and one person every time would go leave him leave it you know like no don't do it don't do it and they'd all start shouting and then he 
it would build and then the, they'd turn Amazing. around and then I'd end it, jilt him, he'd walk off and I'd, I'd took the wedding dress off and underneath it was a completely different outfit. <laughs> and um, I'd, yeah, and it was, that was the end of the show. But what through the run, I had um, a really good actor called Will Hartley, who's hilarious. He was... Oh, um, I, I know Will. Yeah, yeah I worked with him brilliant. once on a, he pi- a pilot of a puppet type thing with Hattrick. So he was... The, my my main Simon, my main fiance guy, and he'd always bless him. He'd finish his show and then come and wait outside the door of my show, ten minutes towards the end, ready for his cue. And he was a brilliant improviser. And then I got, yeah, I is, also yeah. started asking, you know, different people. And Marcus Brigstock did it. He was incredible. Great, yeah. um, and then I asked Al Murray because I was like, <laughs> oh, Al Murray's up there. I don't know him, but I know him through some friends. I just dropped him a little message. He doesn't know me. And I went, oh, mm. I met you a couple of times through friends. Do you fancy coming and being on this show? Like it's doing really well. Um, this is what you have to do. Marcus did it the other day. He was like, yeah, yeah, I'd love to. So he just turned oh, up. Wow, I was like, I don't know great. how this he's is going to go. He's, he's, he's cool. a lovely guy. He turned up, yeah. hid at the back, um, watched the whole thing. So he basically took in all the info. He took in all the names of all the people, came on and just brought the house down oh, and I mean, was absolutely he is, hilarious. He's one of the best improvisers I've seen, uh, t- you know. Yeah. In terms and, of being devastatingly funny and quick, he's fucking. Oh, good. he was, and he, he, and what was brilliant when I jilted him at the end, he as he left because the guy playing the groom that, that I'd pulled out to play the groom, um, to replace him, he was really rude. He was like, "Oh, I can't believe you chose this guy to replace replace me," and was quite rude. And on the way out, he just picked the groom up and carried him out. <laughs> <laughs> but then he nearly caused a blockage on the staircase because people people just wanted his autograph. Like when the show had finished, they just they were taking pictures and they wanted his autograph, but, um. It was just so lovely that people are so generous. And sometimes, you know, I don't put myself out there and ask people to Mm. do things. But I thought, I was feeling brave. And I thought, oh, I'm just going to ask. And if you don't ask, you don't get. And I was like, that's so nice that he went, you know, she's... That's awesome. She's, I've got not, not got a huge profile. I'm not on TV a lot, but he just went, oh, that sounds like a nice show. I'll come and help. And I just, yeah, it was just so lovely. Funnily enough, um, right at the beginning of first trying to do anything in comedy, I saw Al Murray stood with Harry Hill at a pub in Battersea next to where I was living at the time. Oh, little, did you go and talk to them or did you Do you know, do you know the away? one that's got a little stage upstairs? Uh, the Latchmit. Oh, the, the Latchmit, not the Latchmit. Theatre 503, is it? Yeah, theater? that's the one. Yeah, I know. Anyway, I lived near there and I hadn't done any comedy yet, really. I just was like, I think we, me and my mate had got like one writing gig and a bit of a credit on something. And I saw them as I was walking up and my legs just went in the pub. I was like, "What am I doing? What am I doing?" And I stood and I bought a pint, <laughs> and they were sat. They were sat down, and my legs went over to where they were sat and went, "Oh yeah, right. You you were doing something up at the uh, theatre." And they were like, "Yeah, yeah. We're just sort of working out some stuff for a show." And I was like, "Oh yeah, I've just started writing comedy actually." Blah blah blah. Um, and he said, "Oh, you sit down if you want." And I, oh yeah, nice one. Oh, that's so sat, lovely. Sat down, and they were they were discussing. Like Al Murray had a big ITV studio show, didn't he, a few years back, mm. like a Saturday night job, and the, they were talking about what they they were plotting what they were doing for the night, just dicking around, but also planning like his big TV show. And because I'd kind of said, ah, you know, I sort of am started to get into that world, they were fucking really generous, and I basically sat there with them helping them have a little brainstorm he, he wouldn't remember it i actually worked with al the last two years mm. on spitting image he, he was he oh, was a yeah. writer and he was just super lovely and generous and ace but i said to him i said you won't remember this but 
15 years ago-ish, you know, whenever. Mm. 2000, I reckon 2005, maybe. Said, I was fucking nobody, and you let me sit <laughs> with you and Harry Hill and have a little brainstorm. It was fucking like... And I think you even gave me your email address and then sent me a little email saying, yeah, mate, just keep going. Knock on doors. Don't worry about all the bullshit. Blah, blah, blah. Like, he's just like awesome. Really cool guy. Mm. Yeah, it's nice to... I mean, I think when you get to know people in the industry generally, people are always really lovely and generous, but it's just nice to know that there's people out there that are still happy to help you with yeah. your stuff and they're generous with their time because they know that they, they know what it's like at the beginning and how hard it is and it's just really nice to yeah but to, to, to be honest that. not not everyone who's well known is is has got that in them you know there's a lot of no, people that's who true. turn into twats you know but uh yeah yeah i mean i worked on the, i worked on the paul o'grady show when i worked i worked in tv for a while and um that was interesting i met quite a lot of people and i i really loved working with him because he was i was absolutely terrified at first i thought god it and we were told in the first day of the job, we were told because the guy who ran the company was um, was quite scary as well. He was like, right, this is you know these are the rules, and he said, you know, don't look, don't look at Paul, um, don't talk to him. Oh my god! You know? right. And so I was like, oh god, you know, what's going to happen if I do? Is that like you know a bad thing? And my first day in the studio, I went into the green room um, to the was it the green? No, not the green room, but the room where we had you know all this props set up and all the bits yeah, yeah. and scripts and stuff. And Paul was in there, and I thought, oh, don't look at, oh, I can't look at him. And he was so chatty and lovely that I just had a lovely chat with him. And then backstage, what I used to love is backstage. I used to sort of be backstage before the show, the live show, and I'd be like putting scripts down and bits and pieces. And he'd always want to chat to someone, and I realised that he just paced quite a lot and I think he was a bit nervous or just prepping yeah. himself to go on and mm. I always had the loveliest chats with him and he always just made me laugh like even just having a chat backstage and I really and he was so quick he was so yeah, clever he, he was, and um he, I really what, really liked forget, working because he was massive Lily yeah, Savage on Blankety Blank huge, yeah. the monologues he used to do on that like you forget because it's not really a comedy show but he would come out and do a monologue before he got on with the show. He's fucking funny, that man. He is the wittiest... I think he's the wittiest person I've ever met. And I just yeah. really loved it being in his company and being around him because I just found him hysterically funny. I think um, I did a couple of writing days on that at some point, somewhere down the line. And there was... Yeah. It's funny you mention it. There was definitely a sort of like... Uh, an atmosphere of, uh, you know, like... I don't know. Yeah, they were like... Uh, he had a bit of a reputation, but then you do, you do get people who've worked with him who said said he's sound. Yeah, really nice. I don't really know. Nice. It's just like different experiences with different people, I guess. I mean, I always because I worked because I worked in TV for so long, and I, I you know I work, I was a runner, I was a researcher, I did quite a lot of stuff, and I was wasn't always treated very well. I mean, I did a couple of jobs which I loved. I did a lot of kids TV, which was mostly delightful. But because I was I was I was, I was shouted at, I was patronised, I wasn't well paid. I you yeah, know, and when I started doing um, TV, you know, filming anything, filming stuff, I just went out of my way to be so, as nice yeah, to as many people absolutely. as possible. And even like I'd I'd even like be offering to help clear up and things because I still I was still I was still <laughs> yeah, in that yeah. like runner researcher mode of like helping. But I would go out and I hated it if I saw anyone talk down to someone because yeah. i know what it's like and or I know being patient you know, or a bit curt yeah or, uh, there's no fucking need is there no this and i just I mean. i've always kind of remembered that and i'm really glad i had that experience because i know what it's like both sides 
And they work, people work so hard. They're the first ones there and the last ones, exactly. you know, the makeup, when you get your makeup oh, and hair done and stuff, yeah. like, I'm like, oh it's, oh, it's six in the morning, what, get my yeah. hair, you know. But then I get them and go, these guys have been there since God knows what yeah. time prepping. I don't and they're going to be there it. till I honestly don't understand. Really late. They're amazing. I do not understand. And obviously, there are, there are um, occasionally you'll see like a little bit of a thing, like the way the industry actually works, like the, the hours and the, and the pay for a lot of the people involved, when you think every TV show that's on, you think all those names that go up in the credits, yeah. like a lot of those jobs are, especially like in production. I mean, it's just fucking obscene the the uh, the hours. Mm, it was really intense. It's like then, mental. When you worked out, sometimes I'd work it out per hour. I'd like count mm. up the hours and go, "Oh my god, I'm I'm like when I went yeah. add it up per hour, it's like less than minimum wage," yeah. and it's. When, when it was fun, it was amazing and fun, but it was a really, it's just such a hard job. And, and it I gets away with it, doesn't it? Because it's like, oh my yeah. God, we're, we're making telly, we're in a studio. Yeah, there's and, a real sense of that. It's a strange thing, because even though a, a large part of me is now a kind of embittered fucking middle-aged <laughs> writer who's been through it all and has fallen out with it, the thing is, if, if, I, if someone rang me up tomorrow and I would end up on like, writing on a show and then it's going to be showtime and the audience are in and the studio is buzzing and there's a little green room there's just it's, you know you get used to it but there's still a little bit of you goes oh we're behind we're behind the magic <laughs> yeah. it is exciting when you do it like i did um i was in count arthur strong um and i worked with graham linehan oh, and right. that was incredible but i only had a tiny part but I loved, I just didn't care because I was like... Was that a studio audience? This, yeah, and it was, was it? I've never done that. And I found it really interesting. And I almost wanted to, you know, we filmed, we did that the rehearsals. Funny, and then I, we filmed um, my scene. And my scene, the other, some of the other scenes, he, Graham would like run down. He, he just, he'd run down, like change some lines and they'd do it again. And we did, my scene was so, you know, small. I did my lines um, and it went fine. I was really hoping we could redo it because I was enjoying it so much. He was like, oh, no, that was right. great. great. That's Off a wrap. I was like, but I don't want to finish because I really like it. But... Um, <laughs> Even that, yeah, that small part, I just found it really exciting just being on set and watching how it all works. And it's very, yeah, with a studio audience, it's quite a different setup. And it's it's long for them because they have to sit there while yeah. things are being rewritten and refilmed. But, you know, I always used to think it was canned laughter and it wasn't real laughter. But people really are belly laughing and really yeah. up for it. And the, the atmosphere is lovely. Yeah, I think, I think the, the reality yeah. with a lot of those things is they are catching the audio of that audience and lots of it will be real. Yeah. But now and again, they might use a laugh from somewhere and put it somewhere else. But generally, yeah, I used to like that as well. I actually went to see... They don't seem to do so many anymore, really. I don't know if it's... What, what's studio sitcoms? Yeah, yeah. I, it's, the funny Maybe thing is... more than I think, but I can't think. Like, I can't think of any, but that's because I sort of... I don't know, I kind of like, they weren't what I really wanted to end up doing, even though mm. like I respect the classic studio sitcoms. Uh, I haven't, I basically don't take much notice. But when it's done well, that, I mean, it's an art form. But also, you know, I've worked on a few sketch shows and uh, my earliest kind of can't believe we're here pinching ourselves moments were with me and my old writing partner, David, like mm. probably like, two three years after that story i just told you about bumping into al mm. murray and we we wrote a load of stuff for armstrong and miller and oh, we, we went along you know with our then partners and uh we also we sat in you know we we had our little vip pass and we got given a drink and and then we sat in this audience and you know 
you're going, oh my God, there's the set for like, we've written a sketch about like us on a spaceship or whatever. Mm. And then, and then you, you just can't believe that they've built it. And then these people come out in the outfits and they do your fucking dialogue and oh, the really audience cool. laugh and that we were literally like squeezing each other's knees going, oh my fucking God. It's like, you know, I'll never, I'll never lose, you know, the, the buzz of, uh, you know, to 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 have to have had the sort of balls, if you like, to try and do that and then do it was kind of amazing. And I, and it, you do well to remember that when you're being yeah, a misery I mean, ass about your industry, because obviously I do fucking mainly I moan about it, but uh, because it because it's a tough industry and it's not always going your way, but when the good bits are just fucking incredible yeah and that's like when you asked me about my show it's really funny how my, my face lit up and if you could see me i've got a real big smile on my face and mm. remembering that show is like it gives me a really nice feeling of well it's a, a reminder really fun, as well that you know, you know when it, when it comes down to it you've got it in you to go right mm. here's a hunch and then that's what i'm saying you, you all you're doing is you're following a hunch yeah. And making some commitments bit by bit by bit by bit. And then weird, years later, it exists as like a load of experiences that you remember and it was brilliant and all the rest of it. But you sort of forget like it came yeah. f- it came from a little tiny little what if. Like talk about what ifs before, wouldn't we? Had, like mm. almost like I don't get um, scary what if anxiety attacks. But the, the, the positive what ifs, we, we all have them, I think, you know. And uh, yeah. I think, you know, like you, when you talk to people who don't sort of do comedy, but they might love comedy, but they haven't done it yet and whatever, and they, they think there's some sort of magic formula, all all it is, com- the comedy world is just made up of people who at some point having, you know, every day until the first day they went, fuck it, I'm going to do something, they already were having those comedy ideas, but they were just letting them sort of just float away like... Mm. Yeah, I suppose that would be funny, but what am I going to do with that? I don't know. That's what I used to do. I have no idea. But one one day you go, hang on, what could I? How can I make this tangible? Even if it's just a funny video, a fucking podcast, a mm. you know, a fucking funny a meme, you know, anything. You know, it's just an interesting thing. Once you actually start going, oh, I'm going to apply this idea to something what will happen is you'll buzz off doing it and especially that first couple of years where you've not been tainted by a cruel industry mm. it's like the <laughs> happiest the happiest time in your life is and also the beginning bit for being me allowed is like to do it trying and failing like when not when i first started doing comedy Don't it know what little, you mean. Room, little rooms above <laughs> pubs or below pubs the little grotty like pubs and there was lots of sketch i used to do character stuff so i used to go to all these little sketch nights that were on and you'd sort of go and try something and it would you know a bit of it would work and mm. some of it would be awful and then you'd st- you know maybe go back the next week and you would polished it a bit and it was better and i just loved that and then sometimes you'd get there no one would turn up and then everyone performing would have a drink together and go oh never mind should we you know do it next time and i just loved that um that beginning bit because yeah. it was that was the way i found the, you know what I was good at and I think I, I used to overcomplicate my first sketches and my first things I used to overthink them yeah. then once I tried a simpler one so that was the where the, the bride thing originally was a five minute monologue I did for a, right. a sketch night where yeah, I yeah. just had it That's written it, down on a see. piece of paper and it was a wedding speech it was her thanking people for coming to her wedding but in a really passive aggressive way and having a go at everyone and it just got that's another really, good really response. I think it's that's, like, oh, that's that works. An, that's another really important lesson to anyone who's listening who has 
like that kind of ache in your tummy where you think you might be able to do something but how dare I think that how dare I think that I could do that and mm. whatever like what you forget is your favorite thing that you like watching that's like amazing and has been worked out and you think well I could never do that how the fuck I don't even know where to start that's the whole point is you don't have to know how to do that all you have to know how to do is go well I could at least get up and do that bit the five minute bit it's starting and small in building. You start it, small, mm. and it's like like anything. You don't you don't you like if you start learning a new thing like a martial art or you know a fucking course. You go on a course to do anything where it's going to take a while to get there and qualify. Uh, one thing, what your brain doesn't do with something like comedy is is uh, sort of tap you on the shoulder and say you don't have to know how to do this yet. You just have to be trying and doing little bits. Yeah, I mean, and, I think and then I, it's, it just makes yeah. it it just makes it less scary. I don't. I didn't do very well with with looking after myself and my self esteem on in terms of live comedy. I did it enough times. I did. You know, I've got some decent gigs that I can look back on. I went, yeah, I sort of. I started to to sort of get the hang of it, but but actually, I sort of didn't have the stomach for that kind of. Um, Okay, so that didn't quite work. So tomorrow, mm, what I'll do is I would come home and be a bit too crushed by me thinking, my, me not understanding why it didn't work. And now realise, having much more experience, like, you know, partly it could just be the room and the ex, and the, the people that were there. And then another mm. night, you do exactly the same thing. And a load of people think it's fucking amazing. But sometimes I would be a bit insecure and then just go, oh, I'm just not going to do that again. Yeah, it's. I mean, it depends. It's, it's. It is really hard when with on your self esteem. I guess it's that you know. Sometimes at the moment, I don't feel like performing because I don't feel I'm in the right place to. But there's other times when I do feel like no, I feel braver and I feel I want to give it a go. But I, you know, my first sketch was maybe three minutes, and then then I did five minutes, and then I did ten minutes. My, I didn't do. You know, people say, "Oh my god, you did an hour on your own like that," and I was like, "That I didn't just jump into the hour. I did yeah. five minutes, ten minutes, twenty minutes. My first work in progress for my first Edinburgh show was." 40 minutes and I cried all the way home afterwards because I hated oh it and I thought I why am I doing this why have I signed up for an hour I've got 40 minutes and I'd say 20 minutes minutes of it is funny I've got to do another at least 30 minutes yeah, that and I did it me. I did it I kept got back up there the next day and I did it but god when I think about it I just it was a you know I had to really build up to it and then just get and that's why Edinburgh is great in a way because you just have to do it every day you don't tenacity is a big part of it isn't it like generally like i go up to edinburgh i go into various people's shows and i would come away thinking fuck me these people are fucking tenacious Mm. and and that it's i i I have massive respect especially when people have nailed like really good shows and it all works and all the rest of it but if you've never if anyone out there is listening and uh has never been up to edinburgh to see the festival if you're a comedy fan I would strongly recommend it. Like, don't worry about like the people you recognise necessarily off all the TV shows and stand-up shows. I mean, they all obviously will be good, but go and see fucking people who are trying out some fucking bonkers little that's idea. That's the most like, exciting yeah. stuff. Is like the yeah. stuff that's in the little tiny rooms at midnight. That's you know about five people might be there, but it, it can it can just you can just discover so many weird and wonderful things. I remember like. 20, I think it was 20 years ago, 21 years ago, when I first went up um, with like a post-university sort of like group that we were doing a show. And I went to see Noel Fielding and someone took me because I was like, oh, this guy's really funny, you know. And he, I don't think it was, it was a really small audience, you know, 10 people, something like that. And I... 10, fucking abs- hell. 
something like that and yeah. it was really it was Been just hella, absolutely brilliant <laughs> and I loved it and I just love that you do see people and because your friend will go oh I saw this guy last night you must go and see him and it's exciting because I don't book it you know when I'm there I'm doing my show but I don't book loads in I kind of wait for people to go oh I think you'd really like this show or I hear a buzz about this one and I love it when it's like a smaller I was kind of sh- shocked gem. though like when you I mean, the thing is that that is it that is, those are the those are the yards that that all these great people have done and yet when I went up there for the first time, there was a bit of me as a, as a comedy fan that loved like my favourite sketch shows and sitcoms and whatever, and like mad, you know, things like the day to day and all that kind of thing. Mm. Like there was a little bit of me looking. I was like looking over my shoulder, going, "Is this what the, is this what it is? Like this guy that I actually have seen in stuff who I like, but th- this is what." He's in a room under a sort of bed and breakfast with 20 people looking at him. Yeah. And then he does yeah. this every day. Like, wow. Like, it it sort of, uh, it threw me a little bit. I was like, I kind of didn't get at first that that had value. I was a bit like, this is a little bit fucking tragic. Like, <laughs> but but then you realise that, you know, it, it's the fucking, it's it's the incubation period of, of a, of a, of a show or or a person's eventual fucking rise to yeah to... you've got to start with those little messy gigs I mean, yeah. my first show was in a room that was like in a room that was like divided exactly. by a weird fire exit so you had like half the audience at the front and you were almost on top of them and then the rest of the audience were behind this really annoying fire exit and I just made a joke you know I just had to make a joke of it and it was just a me- it was like a mess but gradually mm. word of mouth people came in and the audience got bigger and it was just I love. I just but love you know how what I mean. How like, even like, obviously, until if someone's already a superstar, it's a bit different. And even then, big comedians will go and slum it and do a load of little gigs. But anyway, mm. like, so like, you've got like your favorite comedians' live videos at home. Without a doubt, those people have played those little rooms with ten people in yeah. to get good. Yeah. And I love that. And. Mm. In some ways, I regret that I didn't have a period of my life where that I was nailing it. But when I think about it, I didn't even start doing comedy till I was thirty anyway. So, and then I had a kid three years later. So, like, I I, I kind of regret not starting earlier because I probably would have had a great time uh, in the live scene had I got my arse in gear a bit earlier. I didn't start till thirty either. Really. All right, it's not competition, Anna. Right? <laughs> God, should we have a fallout at the end? Let's have a fallout. But I feel yeah. like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have the confidence in my twenties. I just, I just well, didn't yeah, have that. the the confidence to sort of do it. And um, I, I saw, you know, a lot of my friends from uni and stuff were starting to you going to drama school and doing various things. I just didn't even have the balls to audition. I'm just kind of, mm. I just ended up doing lots of different things but in a way that was good because I had had lots of like characters that I'd met along the way that I started to use to base my my characters on so yeah what's interesting is you don't know like when you think about being not confident and not doing the thing and then you were just at work doing whatever else you did right Mm. isn't it mad when you think little did that person know that you would then be nailing this show one day in Edinburgh where Al Murray's carrying someone out of a door or like (laughs) not that it not that it look it's not important about like being a big shot and big people being TV Mm. stars and all that but the but the actual thrill of of getting involved in some stuff that 
would have felt like untouchable at some point. Mm. I think that's a, a wonderful thing. It is, and, and it starts with a seed of an idea, which I think is lovely. It was a tiny little idea one day I did for five minutes, yeah. and then you know it gets bigger and bigger, and that's how ideas yeah. develop. I and think. once you've done that with one thing, it's not mm. necessarily that important whether or not you become like the fucking king of that thing and like the other, like the fucking biggest act in the world or whatever. But what, and this is something I, I do well to remind myself of at the moment, actually. It's instead of sort of concentrating all the time on uh, trying to maintain a certain level of the thing you've been doing, you what you forget when you're stressing out about where's the work coming from and all that, right? Is you forget that you were once someone who didn't even know you could do that, right? Mm. And you can, you now can, right? So by by you know by logic, you know you could you could think of you know like any other endeavor that you think. I wonder if I could do, you know, it almost like what I'm saying is like, what next? You know, like in life, mm. it doesn't have to even be linked to comedy or fucking showbiz yeah. or anything else. What What's great about doing something that you once wished you'd do but didn't think you were brave enough to do is that you will always know that if you pull your fucking socks up and buckle down, mm. you can fucking, you know, achieve more or less whatever you want to set your set your sights on obviously within reason but like yeah yeah it's a it's a it's a valuable thing to remember about yourself when you're struggling and thinking that you know where's the good times and all that it's like no you're a fucking you're a trooper i feel like at this point this is where you we do the call back to the therapist and if you were here you would give me the hug and then you'd give me the little squeeze i'll do a squeeze and then you do a little fart and then i'm like oh that's Oh, and I ruined the moment. Yeah, that's not how that was supposed to. And I'm going. I'm choking. I'm choking, and I've got like. My, <laughs> and my, you put your jetpack on, and the you're whites, off, you're off. <laughs> the whites of my eyes are now red, and I'm choking. <laughs> uh, but I'm trying to be polite, and you're saying thank you so much, and we're both not acknowledging the fart. Mm, and the fart's really your, smelly. The buckles on because you're nervous. The mm. buckle. Who's? I can't remember who's wearing the jetpack now. Is I think it you said the therapist wears a jetpack. I feel like you're the therapist. I'm the therapist, scenario. but because because of the fart, basically <laughs> the metal of my buckles is sort of <laughs> melted slightly, right? And mm. I can't do it up, and so I'm trying to sort of style out holding. You know, like when you hold rucksack straps in a way. Mm. When say like when you're running for a bus, you hold them tight. Yeah. And I'm thinking I'm gonna I'm gonna press lift off. But hold the <laughs> because the buckles don't work anymore because she's killed killed the metal with her farts. <laughs> I I sort of hold it as tight as I can and I activate the rocket boosters, mm. but it's no good because the buckles are the only thing. That but has help. the fart ignited something in the rocket booster? Yeah, so you just literally get blown to like. <laughs> but that's the thing. So it singes all the back of my hair off, right? Lovely. And the the rucksack and the rockets have just fucking fired through the ceiling. I didn't even go outside. And now there's uh, a family who are like on fire in the, the in the flat above me, and I'm just standing wow. there with no skin or hair on the back of me. Um, I mean, you said covered in farts and regret. You didn't catastrophize a lot. <laughs> that was one of the best catast. I can't speak catastrophizations I've ever heard. You can do this, don't, because it's horrible. Um, but I'm really don't encourage yeah, me really... to catastrophize. No, don't. Just please don't. But you know that. Yeah. Don't, Use it for good. That could be a, a, a little sketch there. There you go. You've just written a sketch. There you go. That's what it's all way about. To end. <laughs> That's what it's all about. <laughs> Anna Morris, it's been wonderful having you on. Please Thank come you on for again. Me. 
I would I, love to. I, I, you know, I'm always... I won't be so serious next time. I'll try and be a bit... Um, yeah. more lighthearted and funny but I really enjoyed our don't chat, worry because so. I'm just gonna I'm just gonna label the episode um, grumpy, miserable gr- Morris <laughs> grumpy pumps with stick in the yeah. mud Anna Morris TV's yeah, there you go. TV's, loads of hits. TV's stick in the mud bridezilla Anna Morris <laughs> do it no it's been a pleasure um, thank you um, come back soon I will thank you very much see you later don't Bye. hang up I won't see you later Bye. Bye. Remember, if you love the show in a deep and probably unhealthy way, you can help support it on an ongoing and stalky basis on patreon.com forward slash stupid hearts club. Uh, your choice. See you soon, you internet weirdos. I'm I'm one. <laughs>